welcome to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Join us every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio for a look at the life, deeds, and words of Yeshua Messiah and his followers. From the Torah-centric Hebraic perspective, they were originally lived and written in. Today's program is about Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 through verse 13. What is the parable of the ten virgins all about? Why are there ten virgins instead of just two virgins? What is the difference between the wise virgins and the foolish ones? What are the lamps? And what is the oil that fills the lamps? How do you fill your lamp with the oil? And when should you fill your lamp with the oil? Where is the marriage feast? And what is the midnight cry? And what significance does this parable have for us today? Stay tuned through to the end of this program for Eliyahu ben David's insight on these questions and more in Matthew chapter 25. And now, here's today's scripture portion. Matthew chapter 25 Verse 1 through verse 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. Those who were foolish, when they took their lamps, took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom delayed, they all slumbered and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Behold, the bridegroom is coming! Come out to meet him! Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, What if there isn't enough for us and you? You go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. When they went away to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Most certainly I tell you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you don't know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And now, here's Eliyahu ben David with insight on that portion. Greetings, friends. 
Tonight, we're going to be talking about the midnight cry in Matthew 25, 1 through 13. And I think as we go through this, we're going to find that this has very profound meaning here in these last days for all of us. Matthew 25, 1 through 13, the parable of the ten virgins. And I think for any who have heard this parable of the ten virgins in the past, I think you're going to learn some new things about it tonight. Because when we look at it from a Hebraic perspective, which the book of Matthew was written from a Hebraic perspective, I think we're going to find that it carries some weight and some meaning that we might not have known before about the midnight cry. And I chose that as a theme of the meeting instead of the ten virgins. Because what I see is that the whole story turns around this midnight cry. And let me explain that to you as we go along. Matthew 25, 1 through 4. Now, before I read this, I want you to realize Matthew was a tax collector in Judea right? In the first century. When he wrote these words of Messiah, do you think he was thinking about the Baptist church down the street? You see, what happens is we read back into the scriptures a lot of things that weren't necessarily what those scriptures were about when they were written. And The book of Matthew was originally written in Hebrew for Hebrews. So it's full of references to things that are relevant to Israel. But we seldom look at, for instance, this parable as having to do with Israel, but it really does. And I want to show you how it has to do with Israel as we look into it more. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. Those who were foolish, when they took their lamps, took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with them. Okay, now let's look at this. The kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? Well. In Christian thought, it's that place that you go to after you die. In Hebraic thought, the kingdom of heaven is really Israel under the rulership of the house of David, and even more so specifically, Messiah. The kingdom of heaven, then, is really talking about Israel. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. Why not two virgins? Wouldn't two virgins be enough for the parable? If you just had one that was foolish and one that was wise, wouldn't that be enough to make the point? The reason it's ten is because of the ten lost tribes. This is connecting with the ten lost tribes out there. Who took their lamps. What is a lamp? It's your profession of faith. And you can find this very easily 
in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation. The congregations all have lampstands, and it's the profession of faith in their area, wherever they are. And they went out to meet the bridegroom. And who is the bridegroom? Well, we know who that is, don't we? That is the Messiah of Israel. So five foolish and five wise. This doesn't mean that there are five foolish tribes of Israel and five wise tribes of Israel. What it's telling us is there's some of each of these tribes who are wise and some who are foolish. Those who were foolish, when they took their lamps, took no oil with them. The foolish had a profession of faith in Messiah. But they did not have an adequate supply of oil. This is the Torah, but it's the Torah written in their heart by the Spirit. It's not enough to have the Torah on a shelf. It's not enough to have the Torah that we use in simply a religious way, like the scribes and Pharisees did. We need the Torah of the renewed covenant written on our heart. This is what brings our profession of faith alive. Without that, we don't have the fuel to have that kind of living faith to truly be the light of Messiah in the world. And by the way, this is the mission of Israel in the world, to bring glory to Messiah and to the Father. Israel, my glory, the Scripture says. That is our mission. But the wise took oil in their vessels. Your vessel is your inner man, right? Taking in the oil. How do you take in the oil? You can start by showing up for the Midrash. If you do that, you will go through all of the Torah, and you will take it in in a living way into your heart. It will help you. If you don't do it that way, do it another way. Spend time yourself in the Torah with Yahweh. There is no substitute for that. You cannot learn his commandments any other way. And his commandments will teach you about him and how to walk with him. There's no substitute for this. There is nothing else that can supply that particular thing that will make your lamp shine. So the wise, they did this. They filled up their vessel, their inner man, with their lamps, their profession of faith. Now, when I am talking about Israel here, you have to realize there's a lot of people who are part of the remnant of Israel who don't know they are, right? For example, the Christian churches, they're filled up with people who are supposed to know they're from Israel. But they don't know that. Why don't they know that? I believe if they spent some time in the Torah, they'd figure it out. 
So there's lots and lots of people who have a profession of faith who are really part of the kingdom of heaven in the sense they are part of Israel, whether natural or grafted in, but they're not even knowing this, okay? So anyway, what we get to next, Matthew 25, 5 and 6. Now, while the bridegroom delayed, they all slumbered and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, behold, the bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet him. Now, while the bridegroom delayed, does this mean that Messiah is actually going to delay his coming? That's ridiculous. Messiah is not going to delay his coming. He's going to come exactly when he's supposed to come. It's more that it seems like he's delaying. It seems like he's light. He's not showing up when he's expected. So notice this, both the wise and the foolish virgins all slumber. They all slumber. They all fall asleep and slumber. Now, isn't that amazing? They all slept unaware of the time. Now, as we go on, I want you to notice something. What all the virgins did before the slumber is what determined their outcome at the bridegroom's coming. You know, we all tend to think, oh, when it gets closer to his coming, then I'll get serious. But until then, I can do these other things I want to do. I don't have to get serious about it now. But actually, what this parable shows us is what you do before even the midnight cry happens is what's going to determine what happens with you after that. Well, notice this. At midnight, in other words, later than expected, Hebrew weddings are the same as what we would do. We don't have a wedding at midnight. Weddings are held at a more normal time when visitors can show up, right? But in this case, it's midnight, and the wedding hasn't happened yet. It's very late, later than expected. Midnight also suggests a great spiritual darkness. It's a time of great spiritual darkness when this happens. Everybody's asleep. There was a cry. Robertson's word pictures speaks of the word here in Greek and the grammar used here and says that this phrase emphasizes the sudden outcry which has rent the air. Have you ever been asleep at midnight? and had a loud noise, maybe a thunderclap, for example, suddenly wake you up. Do you know how that feels? That's what this is talking about. Vincent's word studies says something similar. A great 
and decisive change was the result of the cry. This is a cry that is a game changer. When this cry goes out, everything changes. It goes from a condition of slumber now to a time of great activity as a result of the cry. There is a sudden and unexpected message that changes everything. Here it is. Behold. Many times when we read the word behold, we just read right over it as if the word has no meaning. But the word does have meaning. It means see. In other words, look at this for yourself. There's evidence right in front of you that you can see. This is the first word of the message of the midnight cry. Behold, here it is. Here is the evidence. You can see it. The next part of the message, the bridegroom is coming. This means here is evidence you can see that the bridegroom is actually coming. Now, this is not a message that the bridegroom has come. It is not the message that the bridegroom is here. It is the message that the bridegroom is coming, and you need to be ready. And this cry presents evidence that is certain indication of his approaching arrival. That's why all the activity. Here's the next part of the message. Come out to meet him. The Greek word here means to issue, to come forth, to come out, to depart, to escape, to get out, to go abroad. Come out to meet him. Come out of where? To where? Where is he coming for us to meet him? The prophets all tell us where he's coming. He's coming to Israel. Where must we go to meet him? The bride goes to the home of the bridegroom. Where is the home of the bridegroom that he's coming to? Israel. There could be no other possible answer. So the call is, come out to meet him. Come out of the nations of the world. Return to Israel in the remnant exodus. Come out to meet him. That's what that means. It is a call to return home in the second exodus to be ready for his return.
So this call is not only telling us that he is coming, but it is a cry announcing the soon coming of the bridegroom to restored Israel, the tribes restored to the land, and serving the Messiah. Many of the prophets talk about this. I mentioned here Ezekiel chapters 37 through 39. We could add a long list of verses, but all tell us this is going to happen. Isaiah 40 talks about the call. The voice of one who calls out. This Hebrew word means to call out or to cry, and it's translated both ways in various translations. Prepare the way of Yahweh in the wilderness. Make a level highway in the desert for our Elohim. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven shall be made level, and the rough places a plain. The glory of Yahweh shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken it. Now, you know, this is very interesting when it talks about the glory of Yahweh because there's more than one way that we can see that. We can see that as the glory of Yahweh himself in the mighty acts that he does. And no doubt, this is going to happen here in these last days, and all flesh will see it. But when it says the glory of Yahweh, throughout the scriptures, the glory of Yahweh is his people, Israel. The glory of Yahweh shall be revealed. Israel shall be revealed when this restoration of Israel happens. And within that event, Yahweh himself will be lifted up and glorified. You probably recognize these very verses as ones that are quoted near the beginning of this book of Matthew and the other Gospels. And they're applied to Yohanan the Immerser. And this was fulfilled in a typical fulfillment by Yohanan the Immerser. And, however, much is left here that was not fulfilled by him. He did not restore the tribes of Israel. He didn't. And the glory of Yahweh was not revealed to all flesh together at that time through the work of Yohanan the Immerser. So it was a typical fulfillment, but it wasn't the final fulfillment. As a matter of fact, in the parable we're looking at now, Yohanan the Immerser was already dead. And Messiah is saying these very verses with the call would be fulfilled again by the forerunner to come. The midnight cry must come from Messiah's forerunner, 
from the Elijah of the last days. We have verses in Matthew and in Mark that tell us what Messiah believed about that. His disciples asked him, why do the scribes say Elijah must come first? And Yeshua answered them, Elijah indeed comes first and will restore all things. In other words, he's saying the scribes are right, isn't he? That's very unusual. We don't hear him saying very often the scribes are right. But basically, isn't that what he's saying here? The scribes are right. Elijah does come first, and he will restore all things. That's a big statement. What is it that he's restoring? What is it that the scribes believed Elijah would restore that Messiah was agreeing to? Well, let's look and see what Jewish sources say about this. Here's a scribe, Ben Sirah. And the Jewish Encyclopedia says this, He, Ben Sirah, awaits the return of Elijah to reassemble the tribes of the past. And speaking about this same scribe, the Jewish Encyclopedia says, The climax of Elijah's activity is his appearance shortly before the Messianic time. Isn't that saying Elijah comes first? He is appointed to lead aright the coming ages to restore the tribes of Jacob. Now, I wonder why even the Messianic world doesn't understand this. Certainly the Christians don't, but I forgive them because they don't really read this part of the Scriptures anyway. But certainly, the Messianic world should know that Elijah has this particular task to be the instrument to restore the tribes of Jacob. And yet, most of them say that this is not going to happen until Messiah comes. Then he's going to restore the tribes. But Messiah agreed with the scribes that Elijah comes first and restores all things, meaning the tribes of Israel. And the all things means everything about that, right? means the order of Israel and putting all of that right and setting things right between the fathers and the sons and the sons and the fathers, restoring the order of Israel. All before Messiah comes. That's what this parable is talking about when it mentions the midnight cry. And how unexpected is that? Almost nobody knows this is going to happen. Here's the verses from Sirach, otherwise known as Ecclesiasticus, that the Jewish Encyclopedia is talking about in chapter 48, verse 10. The scripture says that you, that is, he's speaking metaphorically to Elijah, you are ready to appear at the designated time 
to cool God's anger before it breaks out in fury, that you will bring parents and children together again and restore the tribes of Israel. So this indeed is what the scribes were teaching. This was written about 250 years before Messiah, by the way. Why did they believe it? Well, the reason Messiah could agree with them is because their belief in it was based on the Scripture, and therefore is true. You can find this in the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3 and chapter 4 are actually talking about the remnant during the last days. And Malachi 3, 1 and 2 says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. A forerunner. And Adonai, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. The forerunner comes first, and then the Lord comes to his temple, that is, his completed people. And the messenger of the covenant whom you desire, behold, he comes. The messenger of the covenant. Why is the forerunner called the messenger of the covenant? Because what he is bringing is restoration to the covenant, restoring Israel once again to the covenant. He's the messenger of the covenant, says Yahweh of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. In other words, people are not ready for this right? They're going to be washed away. Many of them are just going to be washed away. That's what it's telling you. He's a refiner's fire. Separation. His message causes separation. Is that not the midnight cry? Isn't that what we're reading about in the parable of the virgins? A sudden cry that causes a separation. This is how this section of Scripture ends. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of Yahweh comes. Not after the great and terrible day of Yahweh comes. Before. Elijah comes first. That's what it's saying. That's what the scribes believed. That's what Messiah said. It's all in agreement. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So here's what we get from this parable to this point. The parable concerns all of the remnant of Israel who are professing faith in Messiah. The wise are backing up their profession of faith. 
by walking in spirit-led Torah observance. This is having oil in their lamp. The foolish don't do that. When Messiah seems to be late, they all fall asleep. I think we're just about there. I'm seeing a lot of sleepy people out there. You know, even just lately, we've had some people that have been following Zion for years that are saying, oh, you know what? I'm just like too busy right now. So please don't send your newsletter anymore. They're falling asleep. It's bad timing, but that's what's happening for a lot of people. The world is very stressful. We are in a great time of darkness. And it does seem light, doesn't it? We've had so many of these different occurrences when people have said, oh, it's going to happen on such and such a date. It didn't happen. People are getting weary of all of that. In the midst of that time of darkness that we're talking about, the unexpected midnight cry of Elijah breaks through the night to awaken the slumbering remnant of Israel. That cry is coming. It's written in Scripture, and the Scripture cannot be broken. Reading further, Matthew 25, 8 through 10. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. They're thinking, oh, this is new information. I need to take a look at my profession of faith. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. There's something about the midnight cry that makes them realize... They don't have what they need in their lamps. Just imagine if the midnight cry has to do with something like, say, I don't know, the Torah. How many people have that in their lamps? The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Get us up to speed really quick. But the wise answered, saying, What if there isn't enough for us and you? You go, rather, to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Hey, this is something you have to do yourself, right? Somebody else can't study for you, friend. Somebody else can't spend time in prayer with Yahweh for you. Yes, we do pray for one another. But nobody can substitute for you. We all make our own choices as to who we're going to put first in our life, what our priorities are going to be. Do we have to wait? Do we have to wait until it's proven to us that the coming of Messiah is at the door? Isn't he worth it right now? Isn't he worth it right now to invest our lives in him? And selling. You can find lots of sellers out there. Lots and lots. 
And you know what? I'm sure you can find somebody that'll tell you exactly what you would like to hear. And if you want to have a message that is kind of like going shopping for a pair of pants, picking out the one you want, feel free. But it's not going to help you on that day when the midnight cry goes forth. You need the truth. You need his word, his commandments. Not just what's easy, you need what's real. While they went away to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. What self-respecting man would want to take for a bride someone who didn't even care enough to be ready for the wedding? Is that the bride that our Messiah deserves? Afterward, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Hey, we're finally here now. But he answered, most certainly I tell you, I don't know you. Watch therefore, for you don't know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Watch therefore, because you don't know the day or the hour in which the forerunner is going to come with the midnight cry. Don't fall asleep. Don't decide that your own interests of life are more important than your spiritual life. Because, really, everything is at stake here. Your entire spiritual future is at stake. Well, here is the point as I see it. What the virgins do before the midnight cry, before the midnight cry, will determine how they fare after the midnight cry has come. Those who have neglected the obligations of the covenant will not have what it takes to meet the rigors of the night. We know how dark that night's going to be, right? You know, I was thinking about this claim that the Christians have, that we're just under grace and we don't need the Torah. And God loved them all, but you know what? They're so wrong about that. If you don't have the Torah, how are you going to know how to live your life? How are you going to know what your Father in Heaven really thinks about things? how he operates, how are you going to know what his ways are? How are you going to learn to walk in those ways? You're not going to have the oil you need. You're not going to have the power to fuel your lamp through this darkness that is coming. 
So the bottom line is be diligent in learning his truth now. Be diligent in walking in his truth now. Then you will be ready when the call shatters the night. You have been listening to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Some of the scripture verses referenced in today's program are Romans chapter 8 verse 4 Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33 Ezekiel chapter 37 through chapter 39 Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 through verse 5 Matthew chapter 3 verse 1 through verse 3 Mark chapter 1, verse 2 through verse 5. Luke chapter 3, verse 2 through verse 6. Matthew chapter 17, verse 10 through verse 11. Mark chapter 9, verse 11 through verse 13. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 2. And Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 through verse 6. Further teachings and study materials on Torah, the Eliyahu ben David Bet Midrash on the Torah, the Remnant Exodus, Elijah, the Elijah to Come, the Midnight Cry, various related topics, and others can be found at our membership site, Zion Tabernacle. Sign up is free. Just go to zion.net. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot N-E-T. Or click the membership link on the Zion Road website. New programs on the Gospels will be airing every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio. Join us next Shabbat to learn more in the book of Matthew. Shabbat Shalom! Stand at the crossroads and look Ask for the ancient Would you like to hear more of Eliyahu's teachings? Do you have a question or prayer request and would like to get in touch with one of our volunteers for help? Or do you just want to know more about Eliyahu ben David and Zion Ministry? Visit our website at zion.org where you can listen to more teachings from Eliyahu ben David straight from the homepage of our website. Check out our books, DVDs, internet videos, and other social media outlets. Learn more about Eliyahu and the Zion team on the About page. See what our ministry's mission is on the Remnant Vision page. Send a question or prayer request from our Contact Us page. 
Or click join us in the menu bar to learn about our community site, Zion Tabernacle. To find out more about Zion Ministry, go to zion.org. That's zion.org, spelled T-S-I-Y-O-N dot O-R-G.